You guys just following this flow up the stairs. Uh, we're going to be in uh, 1 Kings chapter 18. I'll give you a hint, 1 Kings comes right before 2 Kings. <laughs> um, before, we, before we get there, we're going to go through a little groundwork. I, does anybody here know what my uh, motto is? I've said it every week for like the past. Be authentic. Be authentic. Aim for authenticity. And so I've got to be authentic this morning. I'm not having the best day. <laughs> I don't. I don't care to, to to step up and say that because you know so often, and I've said this every Sunday, but so often we come into church and we're like, we're perfect, and you know it. It's just acting. You know, you can't ever have an authentic experience with God when you come through Him, come to Him with a facade up. And, you know, this morning it's kind of, I can I can see that some of you have had tough weeks. I can see that, you know, some of you might still be tired or overcoming, you know, getting over sicknesses and that kind of thing. And it's just one of those mornings that just feels weird. I mean, does anybody else feel that? Because I feel like it's just a morning that just feels kind of off. And, you know, faith not being here, you never really know how blessed you are until that blessing is not there. And then you're painfully reminded. And not that, you know, what we did was was awful. And there's a lot of churches, even churches in our district, that have to do that week in and week out. So we should be very thankful for what God has given us and what God's blessed us with. But I just I just want to be authentic. I'm just having just kind of a an odd day. I'm tired. I haven't slept in like a week and a half, two weeks. And so for me, it's not that me getting up here is a struggle because I look forward to this. I look forward to getting to preach. I enjoy this. It's just there's something that just feels off. And so I just want to come before you guys and just be authentic. Whatever it is, it can't stand in the way of God's Word going Amen. forth. Whatever is going on, even though the service was a little bit choppy because we had to use videos and you have to start the video and then wait and take time to stop the video to start the next video. And even though I'm not in the best condition mentally or anything like that to be able to put forth the Word because I'm tired, God can still move despite the natural circumstances. So when I'm sitting here and I'm praying and I'm like, God, I am tired and I don't know why. I haven't been able to sleep and I don't know why. And I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm like, God, I need rest. And immediately the Spirit brings a promise. You know, come unto me those who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. That's what we need to be doing consistently. We're honest about where we're at. And the Holy Spirit will come and meet us there. So this morning, it's a bit choppy. This morning, it's a bit rough around the edges. But God is still God. Amen. Amen. So when we're coming here and we're getting ready to put forth this message or we're getting ready to hear this message on your part, it doesn't matter about the vessel that's carrying it. It doesn't matter about the vessel, my state or your state or how our week's been or any of that. What matters is that the Spirit of God is here. Amen. So Amen. I'm going to pray. And I know usually, you know, we just jump right into the Word and we pray kind of as we go and we pray at the end. But this morning, I'm going to pray because I need God's help this morning. And I don't care to admit that. I'm not saying I'm so perfect and I'm so mentally clever that I can do all this on my own because I can't. So I'm going to pray. And I just ask that you guys would pray with me that God speaks this morning because because it would be much better than he, if He speaks than if I speak. Amen? Amen. All right. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just ask You, God, I've been perfectly honest and upfront with where I'm at this morning. It's hard for me to carry a thought. I don't know if that's because I'm just not feeling well. But Lord Jesus, I just ask right now 
that you move in a mighty way. Lord Jesus, that you give them ears to hear and that you give me a mouth to speak, Lord. And if I was to speak anything that's not your word, God, I pray that you would cause my tongue to cleave to the roof of my mouth. But Lord, if I went to speak your word, I pray that the words would flow freely. And I pray that it would flow freely with power and that it wouldn't fall to the ground, but that it would pierce the hearts of everyone here who's listening like an arrow, and it would shatter hearts of stone, and it would replace them with hearts of flesh, and that everyone here this morning would be as good ground that could receive the seed of the Word of God and produce a harvest, some 30, some 60, and some 100-fold. And I pray that the power of the Lord and the presence of the Lord is manifest in this place, Jesus, because if you're not here, then we're wasting our time. If you're not here and you don't speak, then we're just having a social event. But God, if you show up, you can change our lives. If you show up, you can change this community. If you show up, wonderful, miraculous, and holy things can happen. So God, I'm asking right now in the name of Jesus that you show up, that your presence is here, and that it becomes obvious that your presence is here. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Alright, so we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 18, but I want to read a couple passages to you real quick to kind of set the foundation of where we're going. The first passage, if you write these down, is James chapter 1, verse 5 through 7. And it simply says this, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let, the one, let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And we're going to jump over to James chapter 5, verse 13 through 18. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Sounds a little bit like what we just did. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call forth the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. That's what we're going to be concerned with today is the prayer of faith. What is that? What does that look like? And how do we take part in that? Because God always answers the prayer of faith. And if he has committed any sins, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous man has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Alright, First Kings chapter 18. We're going to do a little bit of legwork this morning. We're going to start in verse 20. Just give you a little bit of the backdrop. You just read it in James chapter 5. Elijah went and stood before the king. And at this time, he could have been killed just for coming before the king without permission. But he went to the king, and he pointed his finger at him. And I can almost imagine that thug life attitude pointed his finger at him and said, It is not going to rain until I say so. And then left. And for three and a half years, it didn't rain. People were starving. People were dying. The king was saving the water so that him and his palace would be okay. The, they were praying to their false gods, Baal and Ashtaroth and all of them. They were praying to him furiously, trying to get something to happen. Trying, and they, you know, I don't know if you guys ever watched the animated Bible stories, but in the animated Bible stories, Jezebel comes out and she says, Baal has told me the only way that it'll rain is if we kill Elijah. And so they're hunting him down, but nobody can find him. And Ahab finally gets one of his guys together. And he says, look, you take this side of the country. I'm going to take this side of the country. Let's find Elijah so that we can put him to death. 
So everybody in the whole country, people are starving, people are dying of thirst, cattle are dying, dying, people are losing their livestock and everything. The whole country is turned upside down and in an uproar because Elijah pointed his finger at the king and said, it's not going to rain until I say so. And everybody's hunting for him. And Elijah's been chilling at the brook Cherith with a stream flowing and birds bringing him food, you know, just waiting on God. And then he leaves the brook when God tells him to and he goes to a widow's house and he says, hey, I know that that's your last cake. I know that's your last piece of bread. But what I want you to do instead of cooking it for you and your son, I want you to give me that in faith and then God's going to take care of you and your son. And so he takes that, he eats it, and then her barrel of meal and her cruise of oil last until the end of the drought. And then finally, he goes and he shows himself to Ahab. And so that's where we're at right now. He says, look, get all of the prophets of Baal, all 450 of them, and all the nation of Israel, and meet me at the top of Mount Carmel and let's figure out who God is. Verse 20, so Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. This is the false prophets. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions. How long will you be divided? And see, the reason that I'm talking about the prayer of faith is because a prayer of faith is not divided. A prayer of faith is not impartiality. That's why we read the passage from James that said a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. It's why it says, if anyone would ask of God, let him ask in faith, believing let him ask in faith. So we're talking about the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith is not divided. The prayer of faith does not say, I'm praying for healing, but I'm looking at my natural circumstances. The prayer of faith does not say, I'm praying for a financial breakthrough, but I'm looking at these bills that I can't pay. The prayer of faith does not look at your natural circumstances and then doubt God. The prayer of faith looks at the promises of God and realizes that this is a contract from God sealed by His blood in Christ Jesus promised to us and that He will back it up. The prayer of faith is seeing this as a contract, as a promise from God and saying, I trust in this regardless of what the circumstances say. Regardless of what the natural says, I'm looking at the Word of God and saying, my God is not a liar. The Bible says that God is not a man that He should lie. So therefore, if we're going to pray the prayer of faith, we have to find a promise in the Word and hold it up and say, this is the standard and I'm not going to doubt and I'm not going to believe anything else. I don't care what everything else says. I don't care what the preacher says. I don't care what the people around me say. I don't care what my circumstances say. I don't care what the doctor says. I don't care what the bank account says. I'm looking at the promise of God and it is right. Let God be true and everyone else a liar. Yes. That's the prayer of faith. That's what we're looking at. So Elijah looks at the people and he says, how long are you going to be halt between two opinions? How long are you going to be disabled between two opinions? How long are you going to be lame between two opinions? And what that means is, is you can't move in either direction because you're disabled because you're looking at both. So you're looking at the right and you're looking at the left and you're stuck in the middle. God's over here and the natural's over here. And you can't fully pursue the natural because you're still looking at God and you can't fully pursue God because you're still tied down to the natural. So what we're trying to say here is you're either going to go one way or the other. And what Elijah's saying is Baal's over here and God's over here. And Baal is just a false god, just an idol. We're just going to identify him allegorically speaking, is our natural circumstance. He's saying, you're looking at this and you're treating your natural circumstances like God, things that have no power, and God's over here, and yeah, you believe in Him in name only, but yet you're worshiping your natural circumstances by surrendering to them. If anything happens in the natural, we run and hide. And everybody should be able to say, yeah, we do. Amen. You go to the doctor and you get a bad report, you run and hide. The bank account gives you a bad report, you run and hide. You look at the bills coming in, you run and hide. 
Let me ask you a question. The last time you got bad news, what did you do? Make a phone call or go to the prayer closet? I mean, I'm, I'm just being serious because a lot of times we get a bad report and we make 15 phone calls and we try to get our medicine and we try to get all this stuff lined up and then a day and a half later we're like, oh, maybe I should pray about this. Or we'll say a quick prayer like, God, please help me and then just ignore it and move on. When what God's really saying is, Let's surrender. Let's go after God completely. Let's not be halt between two opinions. Now, I'm not saying that there's not natural diligence that we should pay. For example, if you are sick and you're praying for a healing, don't stop taking your medicine unless God absolutely tells you to. Believe for your healing. Pray for your healing. Take your medicine until you get it. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the fact that we look at our medicine and we look at our natural ability and we di discount and discredit God. Yeah. Like God don't work in that way no more. Like yeah, they healed in the, old, in the New Testament. They healed in the days of the Apostle, but that's died and that's gone. Yeah, God is Jehovah Jireh, but that's not talking about money. God's not going to write me a check. Let me just tell you, since being down here, we've had God answer financial situations more than once. Yeah. And he ain't stopped yet. Amen. And he doesn't stop just when enough is enough. He keeps going. Sometimes it's exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. Yes. So what we've got to do is we've got to realize we can't be disabled between two opinions. If you want to live in the natural, live in the natural. But stop pretending that you're living for God. But if you want to live for God, then you're going to have to let go of some natural things. You're going to have to let go of some natural dependencies. And what I mean by that is you're going to have to start stop treating your natural crutches like they're God. Because they're not. Amen? Amen. Amen. Elijah came near the people and said, How long will you go lipping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, follow Him. And the people did not answer Him a word. And that's kind of where we're at in our society so often. It's we get a truth... And we're pressed to make a decision and we can't answer. We can't respond because we realize that the decision that we're being pressed for is not a decision that we really want to make. I don't know if you guys have heard that expression that if you are stuck between two things and you flip a coin like, I don't know, this is a silly example, but I was going to get a new gaming system and I'm looking at an Xbox or a PlayStation. This was a long time ago. And I didn't know which one I wanted because this game had... This one had games exclusively for Xbox, and this one had games that are only on PlayStation, and you're trying to go back and forth. And I know some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but that's okay. But you didn't know which one you wanted. Or a truck versus a car, and there's benefits to having a car, but there's also benefits to having a truck, and you don't know which one. So you flip a coin. And they say that flipping a coin will always tell you which opinion you which one you really want. Because if it, you say heads on the left side or the right side and tails for the right op, the left option, if it lands on the one that's not the one you want, then you realize, okay, this one isn't. Xbox on the left side. Tails, Xbox, heads, PlayStation. I really want the PlayStation. It lands on tails for the Xbox. And my heart goes, ugh. You guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. When we get pressed to make a decision... When it's the rubber meets the road, when it's time for our action to back up our mouth, sometimes we don't answer a word because we're not ready to make that kind of commitment. 
Faith jokes with me all the time because several nights she'll one of us will forget to brush our teeth. I'm gonna say one of us, but she'll forget to brush her teeth at night. And the reason that she does that sometimes, she's not here, so I can say that. Please don't let her listen to this. But she'll forget to brush her teeth at, at night. And um, I, I ask why, and she's like, "Well, if I brush my teeth at night, that means I have committed." to not eating anything else. And I'm not ready to make that kind of commitment. And so you end up falling asleep without brushing your teeth because you just don't know if you're going to get hungry in 15 minutes. And it never fails. Brush your teeth 20 minutes later. I'm hungry. It's kind of a, a psych, psychological thing. But we just sometimes we're just not ready to make those commitments. Sometimes the actions, it's time for our actions to back up our words and we're not ready to make that kind of commitment. And the prayer of faith is about putting everything aside and making the commitment that I'm not going to listen to the naysayers. I'm not going to listen to the haters. I'm not going to listen to the doubters. I'm not going to listen to the circumstances. And sometimes it puts right up to the line and God waits till the last possible second. There's numerous times, numerous times throughout history and you know throughout my personal history, but I'm going to use one that's not for me. There was a gentleman and he said that God was going to provide him passage to China. And by then, at that point in time, you had to take a train to a boat and then get on a boat. But he had zero dollars to his name. He showed up at the train station because he believed God was going to do that. He went to the counter to buy the ticket with no money. Told him what won, got the ticket. When it came time, they handed him the ticket. He was supposed to pay the money. The guy behind him in line reached around and paid for his ticket. Sometimes God will wait till the last second to come through. But He's not going to not come through if it's His will. The problem is, is we have to figure out what His will is. And the only way to do that is if we come to know what His Word says. Because He has written it down and recorded it right here. This is His will. This is His testament. This is His Word. And so if we want to know what His will is so that we can get in line with that, so that we can pray the prayer of so that we can pray the prayer of faith, so that we can be fully committed, we have to be fully invested. And the only way we can be fully invested is if we open up our Bible and read it. Come on. Mm -hmm. It's no longer about being hot between two opinions. It's not about turning on the TV and watching two hours for a movie and you haven't opened your Bible in three days. Come on. It's not about getting and going and reading some fictional book, whether it's good or bad, if you haven't opened your Bible in three days. It's not about getting on the phone and having a four-hour conversation when you haven't talked to God in four or five days. It's about getting invested, having a relationship, and being committed to God. Yes. And I'm not beating up on you guys. It beats up on me too because sometimes I'll watch a football game and I'll spend three and a half hours watching a football game and I may spend 30 minutes in the Word that day. There's something wrong with that. That's right. There's something wrong with that. If I'm willing to give football more time than God, if I'm willing to give TV more time than God, if I'm willing to give everyone around me more time than God, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. How can I expect God to always come through on my behalf when I never come through on His behalf? How can I expect God to be fully invested and fully committed in our relationship if I'm not fully invested and fully committed in our relationship? Now granted, He will supersede us every time because we are fallible and human and fallen and He's not. But we have our expectancy on God will do it, God will do it, God will do it. And you know what David cries out? He cries out and he says, How can I offer God something that costs me nothing? 
How can I give God something that doesn't require anything of me? And we do that all the time. We'll open our Bible when we're bored to tears and we have nothing else to do. When there's nothing on TV and we went through 800 channels and there's nothing on TV, we'll open up our Bible and read for a few minutes until we think of something better to do. Better in our esteem. How can we give God something that costs us nothing? For most people in the United States, Christianity costs nothing. It costs nothing to go to church for an hour, two hours at max, talk to some people, put on a smile, pretend that everything in the world is alright when you know you're struggling. It costs nothing to do that because there's no persecution, there's, there's no financial requirement on their behalf because they don't give, there's no discipleship requirement because they only go on Sunday mornings, they don't try to disciple, they don't try to learn the Word, they don't try to pursue God, they don't try to have a relationship with God. All they want is to check off on their calendar. I went to church 52 times that year. And there's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with that. If the only time we come before God is when we come on Sunday morning, there's something wrong with that. Now I know that people have work requirements and some of you drive a pretty good ways. I'm not saying you've got to come to church three times a week every time the doors open. What I'm saying is when no one's looking, when the pastor's not there, when the first lady's not there, when the other members of the church aren't there and you're in your house, do you go to your prayer closet? Do you have a prayer closet? Do you open your Word? Do you have a Bible? Do you study? Do you seek? Do you find? Because God says if you knock and you seek, you'll find Me. Yes. But you ain't going to find Him if you ain't seeking. And you heard the exhortation from Mike. God ain't hiding. He's looking for you. Actively pursuing you, all you got to do is stop and turn around and say, Here I am, Lord, use me, send me, speak to me, be with me. But we've got our back to Him because we're staring the world face down. You know, there was a day when Christians could be identified because of how unworldly they were. There was a time where someone could look at a person and they could tell whether or not they were a Christian just by the way that they walked, by the way that they carried themselves, by the way that they did business, by the way that they talked. Now the only way, especially in America, that you know if someone's a Christian is if you ask them. There's a problem with that. Your language sounds just like the world. You conduct and do your business just the way the world does. You'll take advantage of somebody if you have the opportunity just like the world does. You'll use somebody for your advantage just like the world does. And there's no difference between our actions and our thoughts and our conversation except on Sunday morning when we put on that face. That's why I keep saying aim for authenticity. Be a real Christian because that's going to do more in your life and to those around you than anything else. I don't care how many chapters you can quote. I don't care how many books of the Bible you know. I don't care if you know every story from Genesis to Revelation and you can tell me the overall content of the whole book. I don't care if you know thema, uh, theological words like homoousius or homoousius. I don't care if you can define those. What I do care about is if your life looks like a Christian. Yeah. What I do care about is if you look like Jesus. Because the reason we started being called Christians was because we looked like little Jesuses running around. They saw the people that claimed the name of Jesus and they said that they looked, they acted, they walked, they talked just like Jesus did. Can we say that about ourselves now? 
Can we say that if we went back to first century Palestine and we were walking next to Christ in the flesh, that they would say we looked anything like Him? Could we say that? And I'm not talking about physically, I'm talking about spiritually and our conduct. If we were walking in first century Palestine, where Jesus, before His crucifixion, when He was walking around, and they seen us and they seen Jesus, would they say we looked anything like Him? Because if not, that's a problem. Anyway, sorry. And continue on. How long will you be limping between two opinions? If God is God, follow Him. If Baal, then follow Him. The people did not answer Him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. One against 450. That's some faith right there because they had swords and spears and they probably had lost family members and friends due to the drought. They had probably knew people that had died due to this drought. And they were hunting him all over the country trying to find him to put him to death because they believed, at least his church history and animated cartoons say that they believed that he, if they killed him, the rain would come. But 450 men... Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I'll call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, He is God. And all the people said, It is well spoken. Sounds pretty good. Let's have this contest. And Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given to them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. At noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is God. Either he is musing or relieving himself, either he's off singing or he's going to the bathroom, or he's on a journey, or maybe he's asleep and you must awake him. And they cried aloud and they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. There was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Look, I understand modern medicine. And I thank God for it. I thank God that when I get a cold that I can pray about it and then I can take some Theraflu or some Mucinex or if I have an allergic reaction, I can take some Benadryl and it can deal with some stuff. I mean, there's a very few things that Benadryl won't take care of if you have to take enough of it. Just <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm not endorsing that. Don't, don't say your pastor told you to drink a couple things of Benadryl. But I'm very thankful for it. I'm thankful that we live in such a time to where our life expectancy is into the 70s and 80s and no longer the 40s and 50s. I'm thankful for indoor plumbing and I'm thankful for a lot of things that natural man has provided. We have a lot of accommodations. And I'm thankful that I live in America where we can meet in church and someone's not anxious to run in the door and kill every single one of us. I'm thankful for that. But let me tell you something. When we start looking at all of our blessings and all of our circumstances and all the things that we got going for us and we start depending upon them, then they become an idol to us and they're just like a God. And so instead of saying, Baal, answer us, Baal, answer us, we're saying, Benadryl, answer us, Mucinex, answer us, doctors, answer us. And there is always things that are beyond their, 
their control and their understanding. I borrowed a book from Sherry about the president of the Alliance, John Stumbo. And I don't know if they ever identified what his sickness was, what it was called. I don't think anyone ever, they called it the Stumbo syndrome because the doctors, the specialists, for years, or uh, two years was what it was, wasn't it? For two years, they looked at him, they examined him, they did test after test after test. They cut chunks out of his skin, out of his flesh to test, to try to figure out what his sickness was and why he was dying. And they couldn't. All the specialists world around couldn't figure out what it was, so finally they just named it a new thing and called it Stumbo Syndrome. And then one day, through prayer and through some faith on his part and prayers of other people and different things, he began to turn around and he was healed. And what they said he would never be able to do again, he was able to do again. Now he travels around the world as the president of the Alliance. Awesome godly story. But the point that I'm using, and I'm, the reason I'm drawing that as a parallel, is because doctors are human and they don't know everything. They are human and they don't know everything. All of the accountants and the financial gurus of the world are human and they don't know everything. And sometimes you can only squeeze a penny so far. And then that penny runs out. You ain't got no more copper. Sometimes you come to the end of natural possibilities. Sometimes you come to the end of natural provision. Sometimes you go past what natural things can accomplish. Sometimes you reach beyond that and you're in a situation where you really need God to move because natural can't do it no more. And if your natural things have become an idol to you and you're out here in left field and you're still calling, like doctors help us, financial gurus help us, loans, bank accounts help us, and you're looking at all of these situations and you're calling on natural things because they're your idol now and you've forgotten how to pray. And you're halt between two opinions. You're like, yeah, I still believe in God, but He's over here, so I need to be reaching into my natural idolatry. Is that making sense what the parallel that I'm using here? Is that we have gotten to where we are Christianity in name only, where we acknowledge God, but we live in the natural. And we're so tied to the world that we can't see beyond the natural aids and helps that are available to us. So they have become our deliverer. They have become our resource. They have become the things that we want to depend upon. When at some point, we're going to have to realize that while there is a natural world that we live in, those natural things can't give you life. Those natural things can't give you truth. They can give you facts. But facts and truth aren't the same thing. Facts are subject to change. Truth is eternal and there's only one and His name is Jesus. And so we can be over here looking at our facts and our circumstances all day long and depending on doctors and depending on financial gurus and depending upon bank accounts and watching the stock market up and down and looking around at our friends and our situations and knowing that we can't do nothing unless we depend on God, unless we turn to Him. So... The point is stop being halt between two opinions. The point is realizing that at some point in time, no matter what you do, they're cutting themselves, they're crying out day all day long until the time of the evening sacrifice. They're crying out and Elijah's mocking them and their circumstances just aren't cutting it anymore. And this is what Elijah says. He says, come near to me, all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord. That's the first thing. He repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. And Elijah took 12 stones. If you re read the Old Testament up to this portion, you know that that's not the first time that that's been done. He's not taking 12 stones randomly off the cuff. He's repeating something that's been done. 
Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He built the altar that was broken down. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seahs of seed, and he put the wood in order. That's important. He put the wood in order. What order? And cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. Why did he do that? And he said, fill four jars full with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with much water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah, the prophet, came near and said, listen, at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah, the prophet, came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces. They said, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Listen, Elijah didn't just call this to the mountain for no reason. He had the word of the Lord. But then when he went to do his sacrifice... He didn't take some random altar. He took the altar that had been broken down. He took the 12 stones and repaired the altar back to the way it was originally built. He didn't just put the wood on there in any fashion. He put it in order. He didn't just put the sacrifice on there. He cut it in pieces. And the reason that he did that is because that is the Old Testament. God on Mount Sinai to Moses, this is the way that you set up a sacrifice. This is the way that you sacrifice to me. And the thing about the Old Testament sacrifices is they never had to light the fire under it. They put the sacrifice up there and God always provided the fire. So Elijah wasn't doing this rain down fire from heaven off the cuff. He was simply praying the prayer of faith, meaning he had the word of the Lord. He knew that God had done it before and this was the way God had set it up. And so if he had done it before and he said he would do it, then he had faith that he would do it again. And we have taken faith and we have defined it in a hundred different ways when faith is this simple. True faith is just looking at God's Word and saying, God, you said you would do it. And you did it before. I know you'll do it again. That's faith. It's not anything else. It's not some supernatural, surreal thing where you just abstractly grab a hold of something in the air and say, God, give me that. No, it's looking at His Word, trusting His Word is sure and absolute and believing that no matter what happens, no matter what everyone else says, He will honor His Word because He has sealed it with the blood of Jesus Christ. This is a contract. Hebrews 9 says this is a testament. This is a will. Someone dies and they leave a will and then they have somebody come along that separates... I forget what is that is. It separates the estate and they divide the will according to the person who died. According to their will, according to their testament, they divide the material possessions to the people that are mentioned in the will. Christ left us a will, a testament, and God works as the mediator and the whole, through the Holy Spirit dividing that to His people according to the will that He left. 
Does that make sense? Christ gave us a testament, gave us a word, gave us promises, and the Holy Spirit is working to ensure those promises come to pass, but they only will come to pass if you line up with that in faith. You have to read this word, find a promise for your situation, hold on to it day and night, and watch God bring it to pass. If you're praying for your kid to be saved, Mike can tell you this better than anyone. If you're praying for your kid to be saved, you grab a hold of a promise and you don't let let go of it. You don't let go of it. If you're praying for a parent to be saved, a relative to be saved, you grab a hold of a promise that speaks to that. For example, if you're praying for your kid, you'll train them up in the way that they should go and when they're old, they won't depart from it. You grab a hold of that promise and you say, God, it says that me and my household shall be saved. And you don't let go. It doesn't matter if hell or high water comes. It doesn't matter if the enemy comes like a flood. It doesn't matter what goes on because you're holding according to that promise and saying, God, I will not let go of this until you bless it. Jacob, when he wrestled with God at the Jabbok Ford, he grabbed a hold of him and he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And that's what you do. You grab a hold of the Word of God yes. and you don't let go until God blesses it. You don't let go. You say, I don't care what happens. I know that your Word is sure. I know that you promised this to me and I know you're not a liar. I'm not going to let go of this Word until you bless it. I'm not going to let go. If you're sick, and you need healing, you find a promise that says God is our healer. There's a bunch. And you hold on to it and you say, I will not let go until you bless it. If it's finances, you grab a hold of a promise that says the Lord our God is our provider. And you hold on to it. And you don't let go until God blesses it. Regardless of what the situation is, you find the promise, you hold on to it, and you do not let go until God blesses it and answers it. That's what praying in faith is. And let me, let me end this. 1 John 5. I'll get there eventually. 1 John 5. You can start at the back of the book. Revelation, Jude, 3 John, 2 John, 1 John. 1 John 5, verse 14. And this is the confidence. What does confidence mean? Confidence means assurance. You're bold in it. You know what's going to happen. This is the confidence that we have toward Him, towards God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Yes. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, remember, whatever we ask according to His will, yes. we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. It's not an if or maybe or because unless the promise is an if, maybe, or because. Yes. Listen, we have got to stop putting ifs where God don't put ifs. That's right, son. It says, if my people are, that are called by my name will humble themselves and will seek my face, then I'll pour out my spirit and I'll bring healing to their land. I, don't, I got all tongue-tied and forgot how to quote that. But that's okay. The promise is, if you do this, if you humble yourselves and seek my face, then revival will come. Yes. God says, if you do this, this will come. Not, if you do this, this might come. Right. We have got to stop pretending that there is a contingency factor on God. God does not need us to write a contingency for Him. If there's a promise in the Word, let's grab a hold of it and let's believe it. Let's hold on to it until He blesses it. Let's stop being double-minded. Because that double-mindedness goes to everything that we are and we become unstable in all our ways. Yes. Not just in one way, we become unstable in every way. 
This is about surety. This is about no longer being divided between two opinions. If God has given you a promise, then you find Scripture to back that up and you hold on to it until the day you, you have it. If God has given you a promise, you find a verse. Find two. Write it down. Put it in your pocket. Hold on to it until you have it. Don't stop. Don't let go. Don't give up. Because we operate in time and a year goes by and we're like, well, God hasn't answered it yet. Two years go by. God hasn't answered it yet. Ten years go by. Abraham waited 20 years on his promise. That's right. God will bring it to pass if He said He would. Don't let go. Don't give up. Don't stop. Don't slack. Find your verse. Hold on to it in faith. That's the prayer of faith. That's what I want you to understand. It's not an abstract thing that we have to debate and talk about. We can simply say, find a promise, hold on to it, believe it, don't let go. Don't give up. And God will bring it to pass. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father,